Have you ever been around a presidential visit when the president of the United States comes to a town or a city or a community? Maybe you've had that experience. If you haven't had that experience personally, I bet you're at least familiar with seeing things like this on television. But it's a pretty big deal when the president comes to town. I mean, the, the preparations that go into it, the security, and it's insane. And it starts days before, and especially on the day of, and you can just tell. I mean, the, everything is focused around the arrival of the president. And it usually involves the military, and there's a military escort and something that we call the motorcade, and all the cars, here we go. And then the people, it's like there's always a crowd. People line the streets, people trying to get photos, people trying to get close to you know, which vehicle they think the president's in, and then there's more security and all that, and the people get waving flags, and it's exciting, and there's music, and it's like a parade, right? It, it's almost like this is a really big deal with the crowds and people cheering and clapping and taking pictures and all of that. It's a display of honor. But at the same time, while it's a display of honor, we, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it really is a display of significance. It really is a display of authority and power. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that, but it certainly is communicating a message of significance and authority and power. Now, while we have a place for that in our culture, and it makes sense to us, we're going to come back to that in a minute, but for a just a few moments, I want you to think of the exact opposite, if you can, of that. Think of the exact opposite of that in regards to a leader or someone that's in charge, a ruler. Think of the exact opposite of all of the big to-do that is involved in the president coming to town. Because what we're talking about in the next few minutes is Palm Sunday, also known as the triumphal entry of Christ of Jesus into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday, which will be obvious in a few moments, the reason why. But it's also called the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus made his entrance into the city of Jerusalem that marks the beginning of what we now call Holy Week. The beginning of the final key events that led up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It was Passover week in the first century during this time, which is a, a huge week of celebration for the Jewish people. But during Passover week, you have all of these big events, these key moments in Jesus' life, all packed in there at the end of the last week. Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial. Jesus' arrest and the sham of a trial that they threw together to try to accuse him. The Last Supper. The most pointed and key teachings of Jesus to his followers those final days. And then ultimately, Jesus' beating, mocking, suffering, 
and then his crucifixion and death on the cross. All of that was set into motion by this moment on the Sunday before that we call Palm Sunday. Now, at, at this point, you might be thinking, hey, that's interesting, but if I could be honest, I am not quite sure how this applies to my life and why I need to know this and you know why this matters because, see, I, I understand Palm Sunday and everything. I know it's a big deal, but I got issues in my life right now. I got a lot of things going on in my life. I'm facing this and that, and I've got problems, and I was just hoping today to come and get some help and, and maybe feel a little bit better about things. And to, you know, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I just don't understand how this applies to me right now. Oh, I understand why you might feel that way. But understand this. What we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is foundational. It is monumentally important. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're tuning in online. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this at least should be interesting. And I think it actually will go beyond just interesting and help you understand. Understand what the big deal is. Understand what Jesus is all about and maybe why it would, might make a whole lot of sense for you today to strongly consider taking steps of putting your faith and trust in Jesus and why he's trustworthy. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, understanding that the word Christian literally means little Christ, it should be obvious why this is so important. This is monumentally significant because it reminds us what happens in Holy Week reminds us of what following Jesus is all about. It's like a theme, not just of Holy Week, but a theme is set forth for Jesus' entire life. And because it was the theme of Jesus' life in Holy Week, because we follow Jesus, it just makes sense that it should be the theme of our own lives as followers of Jesus, as Christians, and we should pay attention to this. So here we go. What we're talking about with Holy Week, the theme, is the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus is on display in great detail, vivid, powerful, during those days of Holy Week. But it wasn't just Holy Week, it was his entire life. I mean, Humility was like the theme of Jesus' life. And I believe almost more than any other word or descriptor, possibly other than love, humility describes what following Jesus is really about. What Jesus was about and what his followers should be about. The way of Jesus is the way of humility. And the humility of Jesus was on display in ways that the world never expected. In those final days, because it was just really the theme of his life. Now, here's the deal. You and I can hardly understand what a big deal this was. That a leader in the first century, much less a king in the first century, would display humility. Because in the first century, leaders and kings and rulers did not display humility. It's not something you would do. In the first century, humility was seen as a sign and display of weakness. And it was unheard of, unknown, virtually up until Jesus. Jesus was like the first in ancient history, up until that point, as a ruler, as a leader, as a much less a king that would say, no, my way is not one of, hey, look at me. It's going to be one of humility. And I want those that are going to be a part of my kingdom 
to live the way of humility. No, in the first century, that was unheard of. A king was all about significance and power and authority. I mean, take, for example, just how Jesus entered, contrasted with how Pilate, Pontius Pilate, would have entered into Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect, or uh, in other words, the regional governor over the Judean area and specifically that week in Jerusalem, representing Rome and Caesar. He was in charge, Pilate. I mean, Caesar knew exactly what was going on. Caesar knew that it was Passover week, and he knew what a big deal this was, this celebration to the Jews, and he had also been hearing rumblings of this guy named Jesus, what's going on in the last few years, hearing this name over and over and over again, and the Jewish people are really getting excited about this guy, and some people are saying he's their Messiah, and he, he leads differently, he, he teaches different things, and, and it's a threat, it's seen as a threat to the Roman rule, even though Jesus didn't come to threaten anybody. And so Caesar makes sure Pilate's in place. He makes sure, listen, we don't want any problems here during Passover week. We want to try to keep it peaceful. I want to make sure they know you're there, Pilate, and that I am in power and I am in rule. Even though there's tension between the Romans and the Jews, I, I just want people to know who's in charge. Because we don't, we don't want any uprising. We don't want any riots. We don't want any protests to disrupt what we're trying to do there in Jerusalem. So Caesar makes sure Pilate is there. And so Pilate, just like any ruler, king, or uh, someone in charge, would enter into Jerusalem traditionally with a big display. Pilate's in town. Caesar has sent Pilate, and now Pilate is going to be with us here in Jerusalem during Passover week, and it's a big deal. He comes in with a big display. There would have been military. There would have been chariots and big, beautiful horses. I'm talking about an entourage like and never been seen in Jerusalem. That, that's how Pilate would have entered town. Very much like what it would look like when the president comes to town. Can, can you picture it now? Yeah, that's the best thing we know is to relate to that. And so Pilate, Pilate's coming to town and people would be cheering and chanting, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. Now contrast that with how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. On the opposite side of town, you got Jesus coming in in a way that no one could have imagined. The humility of Jesus is on display. He's riding in on a donkey. A donkey. So much significance there, but just, let's just at the surface. On one side, you got chariots. On the other side, <laughs> or which is Greek for not chariot. Okay? Yeah. He coming in riding on a donkey, and instead of big, parade and music and military, what you have is his closest followers laying palm branches down before, waving palm branches in honor of Jesus. I mean, this was, we focus on it now, but this event would have gone virtually unnoticed in Jerusalem that day. 
I mean, it, it, it was just not a, a big deal. It was kind of like over on the side, what are those people doing over there? That's odd. Who's that? Is that that Jesus guy and he's riding a donkey? What's that about? What are they doing with these palm branches? Huh, fascinating. Those Jewish people there, they're, they're interesting. Yeah. That Jesus, he's an interesting guy. I'm not quite sure what all that's about. But they were doing it in honor of Jesus to the best of their ability. But they were saying something as they laid palm branches in front of him. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. So on one side, you've got Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. On the other side of town, you've got Jesus coming in to the shouts of Hosanna. What's the word Hosanna mean? It literally means the word save. It means save, or more specifically, save us. Even more specifically than that, it has the connotation in the tense of save us now. Save us now. You can imagine if you were a part of the Jewish community living under the Roman oppression and your people have been oppressed for centuries, for thousands of years. It's the way it always has been. And here, this guy doing all these miracles and this guy, Jesus, is just, he's got to be the Messiah. We believe he's the Messiah. And here he comes. But he's coming in on a donkey. Why is he coming in on a donkey? That's different. That's weird. That's not how we thought our king, the king of the Jews, would be coming into town. And so, okay, grab palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us. Save us from this. Save us from Caesar. Save us from Pilate. Save us from this oppression. Can you feel that? Can you see that? They're just, save us. Save us now. On the, I was just told in between services that when the first service was letting out, one of the little children leaving our preschool ministry, the peak, uh, and then they're giving out palm branches to the kids and telling the story. A little girl comes out on, onto the patio, waving it, going, yay, Jesus! Yay, Jesus! I'm like, that's it, that's it, that's it, okay? So this was their yay, Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus had all authority. He had all supreme power. He had supreme significance. And he's coming in with a display, not of power and authority, but humility in every way. Because see, Jesus taught them. Jesus taught them that he came not to be served anyway, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And maybe they were beginning to connect the dots of like, oh, baby, this is what Jesus was meaning when he said, the greatest among you must be a servant. And now they're watching it happen right in front of them. And they had no idea just how great Jesus was about to show the world he was in a way that nobody saw coming, nobody expected, in a way that shows the world what a true servant looks like. It was the way of humility. And then on Good Friday, all of the events that happened that week during Holy Week, you come up to Good Friday, the day when Jesus, many believed, was crucified. On Good Friday, Jesus' humility hit a crescendo at the cross when he was crucified and he died for the sins of the world. The most depicted event in human history, the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Jesus hanging on the cross, dying on the cross, is both ugly 
and beautiful. It's ugly in that the cross shows us what evil and sin can do, and it's beautiful because the cross shows us what God's love can do. And so I want us to just kind of peer in for a moment of this display of humility, this ultimate show and display, not of power and of might and of look at me and I'm gonna get even. No, the exact opposite of all of that. The ultimate display of humility and self-sacrificing and giving love with Jesus on the cross. Because at the cross, we see in this humble display the clearest picture of who God is. If you want to see who God is, if you want to get a picture of what God is like, all you got to do is look at Jesus. He is the expressed form of the invisible God. And if you really want to get to know what God is like, look at him hanging on the cross. It's not, not even his miracles, not even the miracles of Jesus fully give us the full picture of who God is. With the miracles, you have God's power on display and God's might, which is great. Opening blind eyes and people who can't walk, now they can walk. And all the way down to you got a guy named Lazarus who died and Jesus raised him from the dead. And what? I mean, that's amazing. God's power. I mean, who wasn't like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, you're the man. But now they're watching him die. This doesn't look like how a king's supposed to go. This is not how we thought the Messiah would. This is, so, this is so humble, it's embarrassing what they're doing to Jesus. I can hardly even look at it. Clearest picture, clearest depiction of who God is, is Jesus on the cross. With Jesus on the cross, you don't get an angry God. You don't have a picture of an angry God that's ticked at the world and mad, and I'm so mad at sin, and I'm so mad at the world that I've got to have, got to have blood. I have to have a sacrifice, and so I'm going to send my own son who I love. Wait. No. You see, Jesus wasn't saving us from an angry God at the cross. Jesus was revealing God as Savior, a self-sacrificing, suffering king giving himself for the people who created at the hands of the people who were killing him he was giving himself clearest depiction of who god is suffering self-sacrificing servant that's what happened at the cross let's keep going on the cross we only not just see the clearest picture of who god is but we also see the love of god made real the love of God made real. See, for a lot of people, God's love is a concept. It's a comforting concept. It's a nice sentiment. It's like, oh yeah, I believe God loves everyone. And I believe in the love of God. And after all, God is love. And all those things are true. But often it's just this idea, this ideal. And if you want to see what love looks like, and you want us to get a good picture of that, then you look at the cross where Jesus humbly was displaying how much he loved the world. Yeah. That is God's love made real, vivid, tangible, right there, personal, in front of us. 
For Jesus' own people, they were seeing it. I mean, the Jewish people had, had been told for centuries, our Messiah is going to come. God will save us. He will send someone. And now they're looking at their Messiah hanging on a cross, and they're like, that's what God's love looks like. But they never expected that. They never expected their Messiah to be crucified embarrassingly with, with the, all the shame and, and, and all of the ridicule and mockery that comes with a crucifixion. They never expected their Messiah to endure that. No, they expected their Messiah would come with a sword and with an entourage and with conflict and we're going to kick the Romans' butt and we're going to take names and we're going to take over. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way this is going to go down. It's not the way we're going to do this. I'm going to give myself, I didn't, come, I, didn't, I didn't come for that kind of attention. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others and to give my life for the world. So that's the way we're going to do this. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your own cross because that's the way we're going. That's the way we're going to do this. So and no one saw this coming. Jesus, his own people, the great, the powerful love of God made real. And not just for the Jewish people, but also for the world. For the world. It didn't just apply to the Jewish people. Matter of fact, it's always been the plan. It's always been part of the point is that this thing is supposed to be worldwide. Jesus gave a hint of it all the way back, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back. You see God telling Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through your lineage, through your descendants. Not just, I'm going to bless your family and I'm going to bless the Jewish people. No, I'm going to bless the entire world. The entire world's going to benefit from people that come from your family line. And Jesus came from the family line of Abraham. And then Jesus hinted at it again. When this conversation with Nicodemus, you remember what Jesus said. You know it. When Jesus said, Nicodemus, hey Nick, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world, not just the Jewish people, not just people who are in our family, but the world. This was always about the world. The love of God is made real for the world and even his enemies, his own enemies. On the cross, we see that God loved his enemies so much he would rather die for his enemies than kill them. He would rather give himself for his enemies. He would rather... Take the violence on himself rather than reenact the violence and get even. No one would expect a king to do that. This is the love of God made real. Let me take it one step further. The humility of Jesus on the cross gives us the clearest picture of who God is. Shows us the love of God made real. And it communicates the victory of God over evil and sin. At the cross, what you see is the humble display of who God is, of the love of God, and the victory of God over evil and sin. The victory of God, not through a sword, not through conquest, but through humility. Jesus on the cross exhausted, listen, he exhausted the powers of Satan, of evil, of sin, and he took everything on the cross. He took everything evil could throw at him. He took everything sin could throw at him. He took everything sin and Satan could throw at him, and he absorbed sin up into himself in ways that I can hardly describe or we have language for or we could even imagine. He literally absorbed up into himself on the cross the consequences and the, and the fallout of sin for all time, for all people, past, 
present, and future. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the effects of sin up into himself. And on the cross, you could say that Jesus' body became a grave for sin. Jesus' body became a grave for the power of sin. Yes, sin dies in Jesus. Which, by the way, side note, I wish we could just spend a lot of time unpacking this. Maybe we'll do a whole series on this. But that's why. As followers of Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, and the more in the way of Jesus we commit ourselves, the more and more sin begins to lose its power in our own lives. Now, we're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect because I'm not Jesus and you ain't either. Okay? But the closer we get to Jesus, sin begins to lose its grip and control of our lives. As the Spirit of God begins to take over more and more, sin begins to lose its power. We're taught that all throughout the New Testament. And the reason that's true is because in the body of Jesus, sin dies. He had the ultimate victory. What began in the Garden of Eden, Jesus dealt with on the cross. What began at a tree way back at the beginning, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, was dealt with on a tree when Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world. The victory of God over evil and sin. One, not by some kind of power play, not by war or conquest, but through suffering. And when Jesus said, it is finished, the victory was complete. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so what, what am I to do with all this? This is fascinating. This is, okay, I, it, make, it begins to make more sense. What, what am I to do with this? Well, first of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this should draw a beautiful picture, a powerful picture, a compelling picture for you of why it makes sense for you to consider putting your trust in Jesus as your Savior, why you should embrace Jesus. I mean, listen, I get it. I understand why people who don't trust and follow Jesus, I understand why people who are not Christians, I understand why they may reject the church. I get that. The church is not perfect. The church, as great as it is, yeah, people have experienced hurt and harm at the hands of the church throughout history. I can understand why someone would say, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want that. And I can even understand why people might reject Jesus because of Christians, because I know some. Not us, not us. People of other churches, not, not you and me. We're good, okay? I can understand why people would look at Christians and maybe be turned away from Jesus, and it's sad. It's sad, but I understand that. I have a category in my brain for that, but here's what I don't understand. I don't understand how anyone could look at Jesus on the cross and go, eh, I can take it or leave it. Not when you truly see what's happening there and what it means for you and what he's done for you. It just makes sense to embrace Jesus as your Savior. I invite you to do that. I invite you to embrace Jesus as your Savior. You say, how do I do that? You just decide to embrace Jesus as your Savior and say, it makes sense to me. You got questions, we'll answer them. We'll talk to you. We, you we'll, we'll do everything we can to help you understand. But here's the deal. It's still mind-boggling to me what Jesus did on the cross, but I understand that he did it for me. And I'll follow him. That's the kind of man I'll follow. The suffering, self-sacrificing Savior. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let me tell you why this is important. Because it's all about his humility. And we follow him, so it must be about humility for us as well. Follow 
Jesus in his humility. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way we are to live. That is the way we are to conduct our lives. That's the way we are to think. That's the way we are to make decisions because Paul made this clear. Paul made this so clear when he wrote to the Christians in Philippi in the first century. This is what he said. He said, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset. Think this way. Live this way. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? In other words, Jesus didn't come to make it about himself. And here's the interesting thing. It was about Jesus. It always has been about Jesus. It always will be ultimately about Jesus. He is God in flesh and bone. But Jesus didn't show up to planet Earth going, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. No, even the way he was born was humble in a manger. And if it wasn't for a a group of shepherds, and then a little bit later on, some stargazing, really, really smart dudes, much of the world, but they didn't even noticed that the creator of the world has just entered planet Earth in the form of a baby. Even that was humble, and the humility of Jesus was on display even then. I mean, you look at this, it's just so compelling So I want you, you, not to make this about you. Jesus didn't come to make it about himself, even though it is about him. So you need to live this way of humility as well. He goes on. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature, here it is again, of a servant being made in human likeness. And this is how far Jesus took it. And we're told to be like Jesus. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Humbled himself. Evil couldn't humble him. Sin couldn't humble him. Satan couldn't humble him. He did it himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. The giver of life submitted to death. Even the death on the cross, which is the most humiliating way anybody could die in the first century, and maybe still yet, the torture of a Roman cross. So that's the way of Jesus. And we're told to let this mind be in you. Let this kind of thinking describe your thinking. Let this kind of living be the kind of way you live. Let let this be described in your life. Walk this way. Talk this way, live this way, think this way, be this way. The way of humility is the way of Jesus. That's on display. And that's how we're told to live. So we want to help you. We want to help come alongside of you and help you do that this week. Over the next few days, we have helped create opportunities for you as part of the Summit Church. And even if you're not regular part of the Summit Church, anybody can participate in these things. We, we've designed some things this week to help remind us of the humility of Jesus and to keep this in mind. Not just this is who Jesus is and what Jesus did, but this is how we are to live as well. That's why we gave you this on your way in. We've been giving it to you over the last couple of weeks. We want to make sure you have one. You can take that out and look at it if you want. But let me just show you all the things I'm getting ready to share with you. You can find all of the details right here, easteratthesummit.net. 
during this Holy Week experience. We want to help you keep the humility of Jesus and the humility that we're called to in mind. So one of the things we're doing at, our, at this website and even on the app, you'll be able to access daily readings this week and prayers. We've written out to help get your mind in the right, in the right framework, thinking. And these daily readings and these prayers are focused around pieces of artwork that, that, that we've put together and you see them out on the patio, you see them out in the lobby. These pieces of artwork depict the main events of Holy Week. Everything from the triumphal entry, Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, all the way to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so these readings are surrounding these key events that's meant to add meaning and value and help you reflect on the humility of Jesus. In addition to that, on Thursday evening at 7 p.m., again, all the details are here at the website. All on Thursday at 7 p.m., we're having a live prayer event. Live meaning it's gonna be online, and it's not something you attend physically. It's gonna be streamed online. You can get it on our website, our app. A live prayer event, and that we're gonna be praying for you. We're gonna be praying for each other from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., and it's one of those things that you, you'll be able to send in prayer requests and, and things that you're asking us to pray over, and we'll pray together as a church family. You can send them in, we'll pray right there. It's a 7 to 8 p.m. live kind of thing. It's like, what a better time to circle up in prayer than this week. On Friday, the day when we believe Jesus was crucified, Good Friday, we have Good Friday communion all throughout the day at both locations, Kernersville and in Oak Ridge, you'll be able, and even if you attend uh, online, if you're in the area, come to one of our physical locations and we have three time slots throughout the day. All the details are at the website, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and then later on from 5 to 7 p.m. You'll be able to come on your own, self-led, self-guided. We'll have all the information you need when you arrive. Bring your family, bring your children for a quiet, focused time of reflection and worship surrounding Jesus' death for us, for us, for the world. And then Sunday morning, 7 a.m.-ish, live Online, we're doing baptisms out here in the field. And I think there's like 30 people or so we're going to be baptizing. It's going to be a little chilly. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We're going to celebrate the greatest symbol of the resurrection, baptism, right? That physical symbol of being brought from death to life. Yeah, and it's going to be online only, so it's not something you need to attend. Just you know, make your coffee and go to the website or the app, and, and you, can, you can join in. People from both locations and even people, I think maybe online, maybe participating as well, joining us out in the field. It's gonna be a beautiful celebration. And then of course our Easter services. On Saturday and Sunday, you'll be able to RSVP. We ask you to RSVP because we don't wanna turn anybody away. We wanna make sure we average out the attendance across all our services. Why, why all that? Why all that? Why? Because we're doing everything we can to remind us what this is about. And not just Holy Week, 
Jesus' life. And not just Jesus' life. If you're following Jesus, your life, my life, our life, it's what we're to be about as a church. It's what we're to be about as followers of Jesus. That's why this makes sense for you to trust and follow Jesus. And this is what it looks like when you do. The humility of our Savior, our King. Our Father, we come to you in great thankfulness and great reflection of what you have done for us, for the world through Jesus. We thank you for his humility. We thank you for catching the world by surprise, not just 2,000 years ago, but still to this day with your love displayed through humility, ultimately at the cross. Father, forgive us when we attach things to Jesus that were never meant to be attached to him. May we come back to the basics of his humility. And I look around at the world in which we live and, and our lives and what's going on in my life and I know what's going on in the lives of people that have gathered here and around and online. I, I, I know we need to experience your salvation. So we join with people 2,000 years ago proclaiming Hosanna because we need you to save us. We need you to save us now. In fact, I don't know if there's ever been a time when we need saving more than now. So may we trust you and follow you as our Savior, our self-sacrificing, self-giving, loving King. In Jesus' name, amen.